Um, so today the Bible reading is from the first letter that John wrote to the church. And would someone like, one of the kids perhaps, like to read it in a loud voice? Yeah, go for it. All be up there. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending up his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as, as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be Saviour of the world. All who declare that Jesus is, is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who lives and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Beautifully read. Thank you. Girls and Bentley, it's great that you can sit in for the sermon. That's excellent. If you do get a bit bored, feel free to go up and watch the movie, but it's excellent that you're going to be in for it. All right. What do you reckon? What, what does love look like? When we think about love in action, what do we see? Zoe? Um, putting others before yourself. Yep, putting others before yourself. Annie? Helping others? Yep. What sort of things? Yeah, Neil. Trying to make allowances and being patient for others' shortcomings, knowing that we all have our own shortcomings as well. That's one I need to learn better, I think. Yes. <laughs> what else does love look like? Hugs and kisses. Hugs and kisses. So a closeness, physical closeness often. Yep. Giving up something for someone else. Yep. Forgiving. Yep. When when I was younger, I had an unshakable belief in a rule. One person, one toothbrush. <laughs> then when I got married <laughs> Rose still has that rule. <laughs> then when I got married and we had our, our first baby, our toddler, life became a lot more hectic. And I remember one day Nicole and I were both uh, went we both went to brush our teeth, and there were no toothbrushes in the bathroom. Where were, where were they, I hear you ask, which is a very good question, a very important question to ponder. A question that I found myself pondering quite a lot back then, because quite often in those toddler years, Matthew would grab a toothbrush, because he really loved them. He would wander into the bathroom, reach up as high as he could, standing on his tippy toes, grab a toothbrush, pop it in his mouth, <laughs> then with a big smile, wander off sucking on it. 
And because of this, this change in household dynamics with Matthew, Nicole and I stopped bothering with our own toothbrushes. <laughs> Any toothbrush, anywhere. Find a toothbrush and use it. That was my motto for a while. <laughs> anyway, on this particular day, both of our toothbrushes had gone missing. So we set off on a hunt around the house looking for toothbrushes. I found one, Nicole shouted, as she found one in the toy box in the lounge room. And I've got one too, I shouted back as I found one on the kitchen bench. I reckon that's, that's love in action, isn't it? Sharing toothbrushes with a baby. <laughs> um, who else but someone who really loves his little child is going to be willing to put up with disappearing toothbrushes that have been used and left in random places? What greater manifestation of love is there than this? One of the best descriptions of love is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So it's going to come up here. It teaches us all about love. Love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. How does the list we made before match up to that list? Sometimes when reading a passage like that, we can misread it in a way that makes love sound like a sort of an abstract force uh, that's just out there in the ether. But keep in mind that that love is is very personal and it's very active. Let me reread the passage, that sort of personal activity in mind. Love is being patient and being kind. It's not being jealous and it's not being boastful and it's not being proud, it's not being rude. Love means not demanding our own way. It means not being irritable and not keeping records of having been wronged. To love means not rejoicing about injustice, but instead to love means rejoicing whenever the truth wins out. To love means never giving up and never losing faith. To love means always being hopeful and enduring through every circumstance. 1 Corinthians 13, it's really beautiful, isn't it? It's an absolutely beautiful passage. But it's also a sad passage, I think, anyway. And I think it's sad because these qualities of love are missing so often in our world. Look around you. What do you see? What do we see? Do we see a world where people love like this? Maybe sometimes, but often we don't. Look at marriage. Marriage is one of the ultimate symbols of love. Yet one third of marriages in Australia end in divorce. One third. That's a devastating figure. And it's actually worse among Baptist Christians. Or consider racism. Harmony between different racial groups is another illustration of love that's highly valued and highly valuable. And yet over the years we see mobs of people of one type of race rioting or being in opposition to people of another race simply because of their racial background. Think of your own life. Is it always full of love? When we look around, it's evident that our world needs love. It's evident that we need love, that I need love, that you need love. 
God knows this about us. If we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, the beginning of Genesis, we read these words. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Take a look at the Bible passage we just read in 1 John. Take a look at verse 8. None of you have Bibles, we'll have to put it on the screen. God is love. So if we've been created in the image of God, then we've been created in the image of love. You have been created in the image of love. So no wonder we feel so much pain and so much hurt when we see that love is missing. No wonder we seek so hard to find love. But if we've been created in the image of God, which is the image of love, this raises a question. If we've been made in that image, why aren't we living in a world of love, full of love? If we go back to the passage in Corinthians, we could reverse it and say not loving is being impatient and unkind. It's being envious, boastful, proud and rude. So why is it that I'm envious, boastful and rude? If I've made... If I've been made in the image of God, why am I like that? Why are you like that? What has gone wrong? What's at the heart of all these bad qualities like impatience and envy? Well, I noticed something about these bad qualities like envy, boastfulness, impatience. These qualities, these bad qualities, all happen because I put me as number one. These are qualities that put me at the centre of the universe. They're self-centred qualities where I'm looking out for me rather than looking outside of myself. With these selfish qualities, I'm not looking at my neighbour and his needs, nor am I looking at the God whose image we're created in. And instead of accepting the image he's given us, we're creating our own image for ourselves. We're not doing a very good job of that image either that we're creating. The image we're making for ourselves isn't a very pretty one. This, at its essence, is what sin is, making me the centre of my world, creating my own image rather than making God the centre of the world and living in his image. Verse 8 in 1 John talks about this. Whoever does not love does not know God. It seems that knowing God and knowing love go hand in hand. And really, why should we expect anything different when God's the author of love? To be able to fully experience love and to fully love others, we have to know the source of love. We have to know God. Not knowing God, not having a real relationship and friendship with God as Lord, that's been the problem with humanity since the dawn of time. And not knowing God continues to be the ultimate problem with humanity today. Perhaps that's why God chose the solution of becoming a human. Take a look at verse 9. This is how God loved us. How he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Strange as it sounds, God the Son was born as a small baby, grew into a man and walked among us as one of us. But when you think about that and how strange it is, 
Is there a better way to ever know a person than to actually meet the person? It's like Jesus said when he was on earth. If you know me, you know my Father as well. If you've met me and know Jesus, then you've met God and you know God. So God's provided the solution of how we can know him and how we can know love. The solution's simply to look at Jesus. At Christmas time 2,000 years ago, love came down to live among us and his name was Jesus. So think of the list of uh, aspects of love that we made earlier. Everything there represents love in some way. But what do you think represents the ultimate act of love? As I've thought about it over the years, I think there's one act above all else that shows the deepest love possible. And this act of love is what Rose said, forgiveness. Or in the words of 1 Corinthians, not keeping a record of the wrongs of someone. I reckon forgiveness represents the ultimate, deepest aspect of love. Now, box jellyfish, boys and Annie, they're the most venomous animal in the world. Did you know that? Yeah, of course you did. If you get stung by one, you immediately feel excruciating pain, worse than you've ever felt before, which is quickly followed by paralysis as the toxin disrupts your nerves. Now, the groves have have travelled quite a few times up to northern Queensland and to Darwin. And I always take note of those signs on the beaches that warn about swimming being banned between October and May because of box jellyfish. One sign I particularly liked was a simple one that I saw in Darwin that was quite succinct. It had these words, vinegar plus go to hospital equals life. I read a story of a man a few years ago who went swimming up in northern Queensland and he was unfortunately stung by a box jellyfish. He managed to get back to the shore and an ambulance arrived within a few minutes. By this time, though, paralysis had set in and he couldn't move at all and he couldn't even speak. It looked like he was going to die. As he lay there paralysed, listening to the ambulance officers talk, as they set to work on him, he cried out silently to God. Now, this man wasn't a Christian, but he knew that he needed to pray. And the only way he knew how to pray was to recite the Lord's Prayer. Remember his mum teaching that to him as a child. So he began to pray. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Right as he said those words, as we forgive those who sin against us, he heard one of the paramedics speak. Look, he's going to die, but so what? He's only a surfing bum who doesn't contribute anything to the world. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. At this point, he stopped praying. And he knew that he couldn't finish the prayer without forgiving that ambulance officer. Forgive those who sin against us. Those words to him suddenly took on a real meaning. He knew he had to forgive the paramedic who had just said his life was worthless. Is there any act of love greater than that of forgiveness? I don't think there is. 
And Christmas is about that ultimate act of love. We know this because forgiveness was at the core of why God came to earth. Take a look at verses 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What began with just a little baby being born in a stable culminated in a man being nailed to a cross for us, by us. Of course, none of us were present at the crucifixion. But I think if I was, I could well have been one of those people in the crowd shouting, crucify. There have certainly been times in my life that I've rejected God as the centre of the universe, where I've made me the centre of the universe. And that's just as bad as what the people did 2,000 years ago to Jesus. But Jesus came to love us in the deepest way. He came to forgive us. Remember the events of Luke 23. This chapter of the Bible tells the story of the death of Jesus. And these were the words that Jesus said in verse 34. Words that he said as he hung dying on the cross. Father, forgive them. Jesus came to forgive. That's how much he loves. He loves you that much. Many of you know that already. And that's wonderful. It's wonderful that you recognize how much God loves you. But for others, maybe this isn't an idea that you've really ever accepted as true. And if that is the case, can I encourage you now to believe it? Take it in. Know that God loves you that much. He loves you so much that he died to forgive your sins. Everything wrong you've ever done. Whatever wrong actions you've done in your life, God will forgive you for those things. God's character doesn't change. He was the God of love, he is the God of love, and he will be the God of love. He'll always love us, and that's something we can all be sure of. So today's message is really very simple. God's love is infinite. But although it's a simple message, it's also an incredible message. It's a truth that is worth reflecting on again and again and again and again. And so this Christmas, don't neglect remembering that message, that God is love. Amen. I think we have a carol.